Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all those who watch online and those who watch all over on television in the northern part of Wisconsin. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> good to have you all with us this morning. And again, good morning to Appleton and Stevens Point. Glad that you've joined with us as well on this Easter Sunday morning. It's been a fabulous week. Last week, Holy Week began with our uh, Palm Sunday service. Then Wednesday night, we had a wonderful uh, baptismal a service. Boy, if you uh, haven't done this yet, you really need to do it. And if you've never been to it, you ought to come. It's really great fun and encouraging to see so many lives that are being changed and transformed. There are, how many people were baptized? Robert, do you know? 40? 40 some people? Yeah, so very cool. We're excited. <clears throat> and then, of course, our Good Friday service, very uh, moving service. It's a great service. If you've never been to this one, you ought to come. Uh, it's just a reflective service. All we do is uh, we weave in music with just the telling of what happened on that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified. Very powerful. Then, of course, Saturday, yesterday, the big romp for all the Easter eggs. <laughs> we had hundreds of people throughout all our campuses come. A lot of people from the community came out. We love it when they do that. I'm glad they felt comfortable coming. Uh, and then, of course, now... Easter Sunday morning. Um, we've been doing a series uh, since the first of the year called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. We've been going through the Old Testament, picking out the very significant events, stories we should all know about, uh, learning exactly what happened and how it applies to us. And we'll be picking it up again next Sunday, uh, if you'll join us and uh, figure out uh, some of these events with us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but one of the things we did is we started out in Genesis. Of course, the beginning is Genesis, where God creates the heavens and the earth. And the earth is in an incredibly beautiful state. He has this amazing garden, and he puts Adam and Eve in this garden and gives them free reign. They got the whole place to themselves. They can do whatever is great. But then he has to put one rule. So why is it? Why do you have to have the one rule? Because without rules... Love is not possible. I know the big thing today is everybody running around talking about unconditional love. I know what they're trying to say, but it's very biblically inaccurate. All things must have rules, conditions, okay? And God knew, you know, conditions of love. When you uh, got married, we went through the conditions at the altar, right? Better for worse, richer for poor, sickness and in health. All oh, the rules, I can't date other women now. 
Not that anyone would want to date me, but I'm just saying, that's the way it goes. We have these rules. Without rules, love is not possible. So God, wanting to put them in a loving environment, had to give them one rule. Now you would think they could get this one. How hard is this? It's a tree over there. Leave it alone. Now we don't know how long it was before Adam and Eve went to the tree. Based on his offspring, I would say about 45 minutes. <laughs> they made a beeline for that sucker and just, oh, wow, let's take a look. And got us all in this big mess. So they disobey God. Now it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it was a big deal. Because in doing so, they, they now made their alignment with the serpent rather than with God. And all kinds of evil pulled into the world, poured into the world. And the world was, just became an incredibly violent place. It was so bad. You think it's bad today, and it's bad. But it was so bad then, God had to do a massive population research, uh, reset. Sent the flood, the Noah's flood. Boom, let's start over again. Uh, because it had gotten so out of control. And as mankind's looking at his sinful condition, uh, it became very apparent that they were in big trouble. There was nothing they could do to fix it. They were without hope, all right? Now, I know a lot of people today uh, think that the way this works is there's this scale. And if you're just a little bit better than you are bad, then you get in. All right? And we all, you know, we're just a little bit. And we all have people who are worse than us that comforts us. Right? You know, mother-in-laws and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> well, there's somebody, you know, my neighbors, dogs always pooping in my yard, whatever it is. And you should see this person. And we see these people who are worse than us, and it makes us feel much better about ourselves. And we think, surely I have a shot. But what we don't realize is the delusion that is taking place in that thinking. It is not like this. It's like this. You haven't got a shot. There is no way you can help all the little old ladies you want to cross the street. You can be as patient and kind and all the stuff that you think will earn you points. And it's still like this. That debt of sin has to be paid. We can't pay it. And in our hopelessness, God says, I'll pay it. So he makes a promise that he's going to send a redeemer, a sent one, a chosen one, the Messiah, that will set straight what Adam messed up. One man messed the whole deal up, the Bible says, and one man set it all straight in Jesus Christ. Now, so the Bible starts speaking of this one that's come, and they're doing this thousands of years before Jesus is born. They start talking about this one that is to come. And they're all looking forward with anxious expectation, wondering when is this going to be? And I want to go through and read some of these prophecies in the Old Testament, talking about this Messiah that was to come. The first one, of course, in Isaiah, where it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel. This is a big deal. This is, a, this is not your ordinary son. Obviously, a virgin giving birth is pretty unordinary. And Isaiah also says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Listen to what Isaiah is saying. 
he is prophesying way off into the distance. He sees this Messiah. There's going to be a son born to men who will be called God. God himself in the flesh. This is pretty mind-blowing for these guys as they're looking at this. Then Micah comes along, the prophet, and he gives more detail. Here's where he's going to come from. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins, and this is important, his origins are from old, from ancient times. This rule is going to come, but he's from ancient times. See, the Old Testament refers to God as the ancient of days, before time ever existed. He was. And this ruler is going to be that, and he's going to come from a very specific place, not kind of, you know, over here somewhere. Bethlehem, a little tiny pimple on the map. Even to this day, it's not that big of a place. And that specific, this is where he's going to, and then we know this is where Jesus comes from. You remember the, at Christmas, uh, when the three wise men, well, we don't know if there were three, however many there were, the wise men come, following the star, and they get to Jerusalem and said, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? And right away they told them, Bethlehem. They all knew it. They knew these scriptures from the times they were little kids, well rehearsed. Where's the Messiah? Bethlehem. And that's where the wise men go. You think the others would have followed, but couldn't be bothered. I don't know what their deal was. But it's very specific. Now, Isaiah says this Savior is going to bring healing and restoration. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Speaking of uh, this spirit that's going to be on this special one. Jesus himself quotes Isaiah's words and tell everybody, tells everybody, that's me. Uh, we read about it in Luke. It says Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which we just read from, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. I wonder how long that took. <laughs> you know, we can just mark the pages. <laughs> they got to unscroll this thing. To find where I just read to you, and Jesus reads the very same words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him like, what was that? And then Jesus says these words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that's me. Now, they freak. They didn't like it. How can you say that? How can you say that? You know. uh, here's a very specific prophecy um, that we read last week. In Zechariah, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes. Here comes this king, this one spoken of. Comes to you righteous. Yes, victorious. Yes, lowly and riding on a donkey. Yes, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
And we read last week how when Jesus comes into Jerusalem in his triumph, triumphant entry, he's riding on this donkey. Isaiah said this Messiah would be rejected. He says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And that's exactly what they start doing to Jesus. He's betrayed, as we know, but they were speaking of this 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. A close person that he shares bread with will betray him. And we know that's what Judas does. This is really an amazing one. The Bible even gives us a glimpse into how much money will be involved in this betrayal. Now that's pretty stinking Specific, okay? Bethlehem, some of these things, betrayed by a friend, okay. And then Zechariah writes of a shepherd who will be purchased for 30 pieces of silver. Wow. And now we know what happens with Judas. He takes the 30 pieces of silver, and then later he feels bad. Anybody do something? And then later, yeah, felt bad. You know, he feels horrible. What have I done? And he takes the money, tries to give it back to him. Ah, we don't want the money. And he throws it at them. And they can't take it now because they know it was done for blood. And the Bible says they took it and gave it to the potters, purchased a potter's field. Listen to these words hundreds of years before this happened. In Zechariah, the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. I mean, this is stunning. Then, 2,000 years before Jesus is born, David starts writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, prophesying, which Psalm 22 is considered prophetic of this coming Messiah. And these words, we just went through these words on Friday when we told the story. This is 2,000 years before this happens. What does he write? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words literally Jesus cried out when he was on the cross. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. It's exactly what happens. When Pontius Pilate sends Jesus to Herod and they mock him and they insult him, they shake their head and they knock him around. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. It's exactly what they said when he was on the cross. Remember, we read this. All the leaders, they crucified him and they're saying, well, he said God, he's the Messiah. Let him save himself. He saved other people. This is amazing. Thousands of years before this event even happens. Check this one out. Dogs, it says, have surrounded me. I can only assume there were dogs out in this junkyard where they crucified him. It's not recorded in the New Testament, but I'd say it's a safe bet based on the accuracy of the rest of this. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced 
my hands and my feet. 2,000, they don't even know what crucifixion is at this point. Wow, how do they know this stuff? He says, I can count all my bones. This is significant, we'll talk about in just a minute. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That is really creepy, specific. I mean, to know 2,000 years before that on this day that these Roman soldiers would be at the foot of the cross, and we read it on Friday, where they sat and they took his garment and they cast lots to see who'd get it. You know what the odds are of one person fulfilling all of this? Written by many different men, some up to thousands of years before they happened, others hundreds of years before I happened. The odds, it's virtually impossible. Speaking of the bones, it says, this prophecy, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Now, you remember, as we read on Good Friday, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. Now, crucifixion is a horrible, horrible way to go. I mean, there's all kinds of icky ways to go. This is, you know, the very top. This is nasty. They nail him to the cross, and they're just hanging there. Now, that's the wounds in your hand isn't what kills you. And it's not that they bleed out, though eventually I presume they would have. What happens is they, they keep dropping and, and they suffocate. They can't breathe anymore. So they would push up so they could get air. And of course, the pain of that was excruciating. And their legs would give out and they'd fall back down and start to suffocate again. And in the midst of their agony, they would push in that pain to get another. I mean, this is awful. And it takes a long time for these guys to die. But on this particular day, they got to hurry things up. Chop, chop. Let's move it along. Let's wrap this up. So they go and they break their legs. Now they can't push up. And they just hang and suffocate. They come to Jesus. They're about to break his legs like the other two. And they stop because he's already dead. And they don't break his bones. Listen to this. 2,000 years ahead of time, he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. <sighs> Zechariah says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the ones they have pierced. Exactly what they do to Jesus on that cross. The odds that anybody could fulfill even Half a dozen of these things is off the charts. There's all kinds of them. And when you read the Gospels and you go back and there it is, boom, 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 they describe all of this stuff. It is stunning. Speaking of the two thieves, it says that he would be numbered with transgressors. In Isaiah, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. We know that when Jesus died, this rich guy, kind of a sympathizer, I don't know how devout he was, uh, goes to Pontius Pilate, asks for permission to take the body and put it in his tomb. You know, it's a nice tomb, but it's a rich man's tomb. And they put him in this tomb. Um, Check this out in Isaiah. 
He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. How is this even possible? Because Jesus was the promise that God had made way back in the beginning. I will send someone and he will set this straight. And this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. They give him little bits and pieces. And we see it all come together in the life of Jesus. Of course, the big one is in Psalm 16 where it says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. We know, based on this prophecy, that this person, his body would never see decay. I'm not sure they know what that even meant. But it all comes down to this. All of what we've been reading is stunning and amazing. And the life of Jesus is stunning and amazing. And now anybody could look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and say, no, he wasn't the Messiah. It's stunning to me. You've got to intentionally close your eyes and plug your ears. And it all comes down to this day. You see, up to this point, if today doesn't happen, none of that matters. Christianity itself hinges on this singular event. Now, if your <clears throat> version of Christianity is just that, you know, Christianity is a nice religion, a nice a philosophy, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's, that's about as much. If that's your version of Christianity, well, today doesn't mean jack. Doesn't matter. If your version of Jesus, well, he was just a good teacher, you know, very, very smart philosopher. Then what happens today is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. But if you believe he's the Messiah, if you believe he is the one who would fulfill all these things that they have seen, now we get to this day. He is in the grave. If he stays in the tomb, then he's no different than the other great men and prophets that have gone before him. And he's not the Messiah. And all of these prophecies are just one gigantic coincidence. One your mama coincidence. <laughs> because, holy cow, how can they even know this stuff's happening? The fact that he did it, I guess it's just all a coincidence. Because if he stays in the grave, he's not the one. But if he rises, as he said he wouldn't, by the way, he told his disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I will rise. You can't get much more specific than that. But they didn't have a clue. Zoo, they didn't catch a word. Now, in all fairness to the disciples, they didn't know half the stuff he was talking about. They did it, and they said oftentimes, what's he talking about? I don't know. Ask him. I ain't asking him. You ask him. You know, just, they got to the point, the Bible says they were afraid to ask him anything. Because they didn't know what, what they're talking about. And he would tell these stories, and they're like, why don't you just tell us what you want to say? You know, he speaks in these parables and these analogies, and they, they don't get it. So when he says, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me and kill me, and I'll raise they're probably thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> the Pharisees, interestingly, they knew what he was talking about. These pinheads, these religious narcissists, these self-righteous snakes, as Jesus called them. They'd heard Jesus talk, and as soon as they bury Jesus, they go to uh, the authorities, and they said, listen, he said that he would rise again on the third day. Isn't that amazing? These religious evil people, they heard him, his own disciples, 
clueless, dumb as bricks. So I said, you better put some guards out there because they didn't think he would really rise. They think they'll, they'll steal the body and then say he rose. You know, so they, they brought these guards there and they're trying to pull all this together. But even they knew, wow. If he rises, then he is who he says he is because only God could defeat death. And in doing so, he shows that nothing is impossible for God. And that's what we celebrate on this day because he does, in fact, rise and changes everything. It is the final testament. If he had not fulfilled all those prophecies, you'd figure, well, I don't know, he must have made me talk about someone else. Just raising from the dead pretty much nails it right there. But all of this and then that, it shows that nothing is too hard for God. And it shows us we can have hope. Now, here's the thing. People right now listening to me, they're going through some really hard times. Some of you are going through a really hard time. Some of you in Appleton struggling in our church over in Stevens Point. People watching me on TV right now, sitting at home in your underwear. <laughs> Go to church. <laughs> I meet these people all the time. I watch you every Sunday. Stop it. Go to church. All right. But not in your underwear. I just want to clarify so there's no misunderstanding. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, so these people are listening to me. <laughs> some, of these, some of you are going through really hard times. I mean, life is really, really, really hard for you. And you get to the point where you lose hope. See, when you lose hope, you can't have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to see a miracle. It's impossible for God to turn your situation if you don't believe. And what happens, our situation gets so bad, we become hopeless. Our problem is too big. Really? Pastor, the situation has gone too far. It's just too far gone. If, if we would have worked on this a year ago, maybe, but it, it's too late now. Really? You think God's limited by your mess? You think God cares what your banker tells you? Your accountant tells you? Pastor, I have kids. They're driving me crazy. Welcome to parenthood. I think this one's beyond hope. They're not beyond hope. None of them. None of them. You think your cancer's too far along that it can't be beat? I'm telling you, it's not. Nothing is impossible with God. And we have seen this personally in our lives. My, where's my lovely redhead? There she is. She hates it when I talk about her. And I'll get it later. <laughs> but it's worth it. They told her she was gone. It's over. They've got hospice people coming to the home, telling, get, get your affairs in order. This is it. They're telling us this is it. I'm thinking this is it. She finally says, I think this is it. But even in the midst of it, still hope. And all of a sudden, inexplicably, to the surprise of everyone, particularly the doctors, it just changes. And she got stronger and stronger and stronger. <laughs> and louder. And <laughs> so how are your wife doing? She's doing good. She's a redhead. 
She's too stubborn to stay sick. A German redhead, which really increases it there. I mean, it's like, you say, well, what if it eventually gets her? Look, something's going to get everybody at some point. I'm just telling you, right now, you have seen with your own eyes, with me, God answers prayers. What everybody says, it's too far, it's too late, it's too much. I'm telling you, it's not. Not to God. The resurrection changes everything. Pastor, there's no hope for our marriage. It's too far gone. It's dead. Our marriage is dead. Yes, even your dead marriage, God can breathe life if you just let him. See, the thing is we lose hope. So as we lose hope, we shut down. It all comes down to this. The resurrection changes everything. We read about it in Luke, the 24th chapter. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why are they doing this now? Because they couldn't do it the first day because he dies on Friday. And as soon as sundown kicks in, then it's the Sabbath. And they were very, very strict about this. Ridiculously so. Jesus made fun of them and told them they were being ridiculous. And to this day, very devout Jews are... Into, they won't even flip a light switch. Because you're not supposed to work on Saturday. Seriously? How much work is it to... My cat can turn on a light. All right. But they won't, not to make fun of them, even though I just made fun of them. The point is, they're really strict about this. And Jesus said, guys, this, that's not what the Sabbath wasn't so that you could be miserable. It was supposed to be a day of rest, but they made it something to be a burden. Because that's what religion does. Man, religion will take the best thing that you got and beat the snot out of you with it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you were raised in churches. All you got was religion. They said the right things, but they just beat the snot out of you. Reminding you why you should be in hell every day you came. Right? Religion, rules and rituals, do this, do that, push that button, throw that switch. And a lot of us went to church. I remember it was like that before I really became a Christian. I go to church, it was, you know, it was like payment on your fire insurance policy. You don't want to go to hell, you want fire insurance, right? So you got to go to church once in a while, throw in a buck. So they couldn't do anything. So Saturday, they got to sit around. They can't. They can barely move. Sunday morning. And by the way, when we said the three days, we're not talking seventy-two hours. A lot of times people say the Bible says Jesus is going to be great for three days. He wasn't in the grave for three days. He, by Friday, man, it was like a day and a half because he rose Sunday morning. It's not. You know, we think scientifically. To Bible days, if something happens on a day, that's day one. Okay. When Jesus died, Friday is day one. Saturday is day two. Sunday is day three. That's what they're talking about. It wasn't 72 hours that we'd be having this celebration. Monday or Tuesday, whatever that comes out to me, I don't know. So Sunday morning, they're going to go, and now they're going to prepare the body. Because all they can do is just put him in quick, and they had to run, because oh, can't do anything on the Sabbath. Well, when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the man said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that great? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because he was dead. <laughs> they don't know what's going on, right? He's alive. 
Why do you look for the living? You know, I, I read this little thing. It was real cool. Story about this little girl. Teacher gave him on, the class an assignment. Write a little paper, you know, whatever grade it was. It wasn't that big a deal. But write a little report on the most famous people alive today. Basically, an exercise in, you know, modern, you know, politics and civics lessons. And stuff like that. So they all do this lady, this girl, hands in her uh, assignment. And it's about Jesus. And the teacher says, no, dear. I said, of someone who's alive. She goes, he is alive. Amen. Isn't that cool? And they said, he is not here. He has risen. With those three words, it changes the world. Those three words sets forever Jesus. If it wasn't enough, all the prophecies that we saw, this seals the deal. He is the Messiah. He's the one God sent to redeem us. He makes right what Adam made wrong. And if you will make an conscious decision to align with Jesus, he will straighten out what's wrong in your life. You can't do it with the scale thing. You don't want Jesus, then you're on your own. You're still aligning with Adam. Adam was a big disappointment. Jesus was not. In him, we have new life, new hope. In him, we have salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for this day, the day that changes everything. When Jesus came out of that tomb, wow, everything from then on in the world and the universe is different. We celebrate that today. We thank you for it. And Lord, I pray that people who maybe don't know you, watching you right now, listening to me, wherever they're at, that they would reach out to you and in their heart put their trust in you so you could set things right for them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless.